freedom is something that we all prize very highly. Every year on Remembrance Day, we give thanks for those who've given their lives fighting for our freedom. Often in our prayers, we thank God for the freedom we have to meet together as Christians. There are major organizations dedicated to preserving our freedom as Christians. And I'm grateful for all of those things. But there is a danger that goes along with all this concern for freedom. In our concern to be free to practice Christianity... We can begin to think Christianity is all about being free. But we're about to read a Bible passage that tells us Christianity is slavery. In the verses we looked at last week, Paul focused on the fact that when we come to Christ, then through our union with Christ, we are set free from sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. That's a wonderful truth. It gives us great confidence in the face of temptation. We know sin is no longer our master. That's a life-changing truth. But it is not a truth that stands alone. Paul immediately adds to what we heard him say last week. He's just told us that in Christ we're set free. But now Paul is going to complete the picture for us. Because our freedom from sin is not freedom to sin. We are set free, Paul says, to serve God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. In the Pew Bible, it's page 1133, or the large print 1752. And we're going to read from verse 15 down to the end of chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, Or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. Slavery is a very strong word. It's a word with nasty connotations. That's certainly the case today. And if anything, it was an even more loaded word for Paul's first readers. Scholars tell us that between 60 to 70% of the believers in Rome either were slaves or they had been born slaves and gained their freedom at some point. So if it gets our heckles up to be told we are slaves of God, imagine how the first readers must have reacted. This doesn't seem like a good church growth strategy. Take a bunch of slaves and former slaves who've come to Jesus for freedom and tell them actually they've signed up for another form of slavery. It doesn't seem like a clever approach. And yet in the nine verses we just read, Paul uses the word slavery eight times. He is very intentional about this. Why? Because he wants to confront us with an unavoidable truth. You will serve something. So the question is not, am I going to be a slave? The question is, whose slave am I going to be? It's not about whether or not we serve, it's about what we serve. To be human is to serve. We might serve a whole lot of different things. We might serve other people. We may be enslaved by other people's expectations of us or the demands other people make on us. We might serve the company or the firm we work for. We might serve our own appetites for money, sex, and power. We might serve the dream of a trouble-free life. It might even be some fear that enslaves us and determines our every move in life. There are plenty of different masters. But the point is, we will all serve a master. Rebecca Manley Pippert puts it like this. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Why does Paul feel a need to point this out here? Well, in verse 14, he told us, you are not under the law, but under grace. The law here means the Old Testament law. And the law itself is a very good thing. It's a gift from God. It's an expression of God's goodwill. But the law was never meant to be a pathway to salvation. So when Paul says you're not under the law, 
he means you're not under the condemning power of the law. That was the case before you came to Christ. The law just exposed your failure. It gave a measure of how far you fell short. But, Paul says, in Christ, that condemnation is gone. However, don't think you're free now to start living how you want. Look again at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. We are never autonomous. We are never free from a ruling power. You might not like to hear that, but it's true. And Paul says to Christians, you need to realize what's happening when you sin. You're going back to your old master, the one you've been set free from. You're offering yourselves to that master all over again, putting yourself at sin's disposal. You and I have to learn to see sin in this way. When temptation comes tomorrow, when an opportunity to sin presents itself tomorrow, maybe you have the chance to cut someone else down and make yourself look good in the process. Whatever the opportunity is, when it comes, remember, if you go ahead and do it, you're not indulging yourself. You're offering yourself as a slave to sin. You're saying to sin, here I am. I'm at your service, master. And if the temptation is greed or sexual lust or whatever, the situation is always the same. Giving in to temptation is not treating yourself. It's laying your life at the feet of your old master. And when you live to serve that old master, the reward is death. Paul will have more to say about that later. But here, now, he focuses on the alternative at the end of verse 16. Obedience, which leads to righteousness. In the context here, obedience means obedience to God. And righteousness means patterns of life that are pleasing to God. Words and deeds that are right in God's eyes. So the choice before us is, either lay your life at sin's feet, or lay it at God's feet. And this is not a choice that we make just once. We make it every day. In fact, we make it in every new situation of every day. In this conversation, am I going to serve God or sin? In this time at home on my own, will I serve God or sin? 
as I replay the harsh things that person said to me earlier? Will I serve God by leaving it in God's hands and moving on? Or will I serve sin and let bitterness take root in my heart? Every hour of the day, the choice comes back. Which master will I offer myself to? Does that sound exhausting? Probably it does. But there's another truth that saves us from exhaustion. Here it is. The Christian is marked for God. In other words, if you're a Christian, you are not faced with a finely balanced choice every hour of the day. If we are in Christ, then the choice is between being who we are in Christ or denying who we are. And it's much more exhausting to pull against our true nature than to live out our true nature. Pulling against your nature wears you down. It makes you unhappy and irritable and low. If you're a Christian, isn't that how you feel when you sin? Don't you feel on edge and unsettled? Genuine Christians are miserable sinners. When we sin, it makes us miserable. On the other hand, when you resist temptation and obey God, doesn't it bring peace in your heart? Even if you suffer in other ways for your obedience to God. Well, here Paul says the explanation for that is that you are not neutral. You're marked for God. Look how Paul explains it in verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In verse 17, there are two parts to what Paul's saying. First, he says, you have come to obey from your heart. He's talking here about the time of their conversion to Christ. They put their faith in his work on the cross. They received forgiveness for their sin. They were declared righteous, not guilty before God. Not only that, they were reconciled to God. They were given a new ability ability to obey God. Back in chapter 1, Paul called that the obedience that comes from faith. It's not just outward behavior. It's outward behavior that flows from a changed heart. It's an inner change that produces an external change. Our words and actions are different because our heart is different. It has been crucified buried, and raised to new life with Christ. And the big point is, if we belong to Christ, then obedience to God is now normal for us. 
It will not always be easy, but it is normal and natural. Sin is now abnormal and unnatural for us. When we do it, we're doing it in defiance of who we really are, in defiance of our true nature. Then secondly, in verse 17, Paul explains more precisely what has happened to our hearts. He says, we have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. A more helpful translation would be the imprint of teaching to which you were handed over. Here's the picture. Think of an imprint made on wax. One of God's major Old Testament promises was that he would take away his people's heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God also promised to write his law on their new hearts. And here Paul says, when God gave you new life in Christ, he took your heart that was like stone toward him, he made it like wax, and he imprinted his law on your heart. You are not neutral anymore. You're not working from a blank screen. Sinning against God is no longer normal for you. But obeying God is. Your heart is marked for God. Your heart allegiance lies with God's will. Going against his will is going to make you miserable and exhausted. Obeying his will is going to bring joy and peace. Now, externally, of course, obeying God's will might bring you a whole lot of difficulty, even rejection and persecution. But obedience will lead to internal joy and peace because your heart carries God's imprint. His way is the way of your heart. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And so, Paul says, serve your true master. Today, From a load of different angles, we're constantly being told, don't repress who you are. Don't try and deny your true identity. Express yourself. Now normally that's simply an encouragement for people to sin. And outside of Christ, it is in our nature to sin. Expressing our nature will result in sin. But in Christ, we can take the world's message and say, yes, I am a new creation in Christ. God's law is imprinted on my heart. My true identity is not expressed by serving sin. 
It's expressed by serving righteousness. And I'm not going to deny and repress that true identity I have in Christ. I'm going to express it by obeying him. Incidentally, that's what non-Christians don't get in this whole issue of sexual orientation. A non-Christian cannot fathom why a Christian with same-sex attraction would choose not to act on that attraction. Surely they think that's repressive. But the Christian says, no, my identity is not based on my sexual inclinations, whatever those might be. My identity is found in Christ. I truly express who I am when I obey him. To disobey him, that's repressive. Remember, Paul has been talking about slavery. And at the beginning of verse 19, he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. In other words, when Paul talks about slavery, he's using it as an illustration because our human minds need illustrations. But as with every illustration, it mustn't be pushed on every detail. Paul knows that slavery to God does not equate in every way to human slavery. For example, human slavery almost always involves fear and degradation and abuse. Paul doesn't want us to bring those aspects into our thinking here. And yet, slavery is a useful illustration because it does get at the truth that our new master requires absolute obedience from us. He has saved us by grace. He gives us fresh, daily supplies of grace. And he expects us to use those supplies of grace. Not to defy him, but to obey him. So Paul goes on in verse 19, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians. So we are predisposed to give ourselves to righteousness. It's natural for us. And yet we all know very well it is very possible to live unnaturally. To offer ourselves to impurity instead of righteousness. Why is that such a danger for us? It's a danger because sin produces great advertising campaigns. Sin presents itself in very appealing ways. Sin is very good at convincing us we'll have fun if we serve impurity. And so the position we find ourselves in 
is that righteousness is natural for us, but sin is attractive for us. Sin's lies sound terribly convincing much of the time. And that's why when we forget who we are in Christ, and when we just get lazy, we sin. Sin tells us a good story, and we fall for it. But look what Paul is telling us here. He's telling us that both sin and righteousness lead us on. On the one hand, a choice to serve impurity opens up a course for us into ever-increasing wickedness. A choice to offer yourself to sin starts you on a road to further sin. It increases the chances you will progress in sin. On the other hand, a choice to offer yourself to righteousness, that gives you momentum to go further down the path of righteousness, to godliness and holiness. The point is, both kinds of slavery involve progress and development in that slavery. If I steal once, or if I lie once, stealing or lying become a whole lot easier the next time. And equally, if I resist the temptation, then next time I'm tempted, I know it can be resisted. I'm more likely to resist again. Tim Keller says, each kind of slavery proceeds and advances. Neither one stands still. So when you're tempted, never, never allow yourself to think, it's okay, I won't make a habit of this, but just this one time, I'll do it and then I'll leave it alone. Don't make little bargains like that. Because you can't keep those kind of bargains. One act of sin is an act of submission to sin. It's a step on the road to mastery by sin. It makes submission to God a whole lot harder and submission to sin a whole lot easier the next time. Maybe you're thinking, but I've been submitting to sin. Is there no way back for me? Yes, there is. Every act of submission to God is a step forwards with God. One of sin's lies is to tell us we've gone too far with sin to turn back. But that's not true. Remember who you truly belong to. Remember whose law is imprinted on your heart. Turn back to God. And begin again to serve righteousness. One of the biggest mistakes we can make as Christians is to think we've gone so far in sin that we may as well keep going in it. 
And to encourage us, Paul says, consider the results. He says, let's compare the results of slavery to sin and the results of slavery to God. That's what he does in verses 20 to 23. He starts with sin. We've said all of us are familiar with sin's great advertising campaigns. The ways that sin presents itself. We know that the front door of sin usually looks very, very good. But Paul says, let's look down the road of sin. What's the payoff for serving sin? Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. One common reason that people give for rejecting Christianity is that it would restrict their freedom. And in verse 20, Paul says to these Christians, there's no doubt. When you were outside of Christ and serving sin, at that time you did have a certain kind of freedom. You are free from the control of righteousness. But, Paul says, what did that freedom consist of? What did it amount to? It meant you were cut off from a truly satisfying and fulfilling life. The benefit you reaped from your freedom was death. Later, Paul is going to mention eternal death. But here, he seems to have in mind a kind of living death. One writer calls it brokenness of life. And we've all had a taste of the brokenness that comes from serving sin. It's a nagging, unsettled dissatisfaction. It's the fear of being found out. It's the weariness of trying to keep up a deception. One preacher talks about a constant treadmill of trying to grasp or trying to keep hold of something which can never really deliver for us. That's the benefit we reap from being free from the control of righteousness. I can remember the time when music enthusiasts would invest in big sound systems. And the really big item wasn't so much the turntable or the CD unit, it was the speakers. You wanted to have speakers that would give you excellent reproduction of the recorded sound. You wanted to get the full effect. And speakers like that were not cheap. Then you angled those speakers just perfectly so you could sit in your armchair in the middle of your living room and get wonderfully balanced stereo sound. People worked hard to get the optimal listening experience. But what do we do now? We go around with digital music 
played through little earbuds. Usually the free earbuds we got with our phone. Now that might be very convenient. But whether you love classical music or rock music or whatever your favorite kind of music. When we listen that way, it is a pathetic listening experience. Apparently, when we listen to music that way, we're missing 80% of the recorded sound. 80%. But we settle for that because it's convenient. Here Paul says, think of the days when you were free from righteousness. It seemed like serving God would be too restrictive. It seemed it would cost too much. But looking back, wasn't it rubbish? Wasn't life so muted? So one-dimensional? Weren't you missing out on so much back then? All you had was brokenness. But you settled for it because it seemed convenient, like your free earbuds. But then Paul says, let's compare that with the results of slavery to God. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Living as a slave to God means increasing fellowship with God, deepening communion with the one who made you, the one who knows you best. That's a truly whole life. That's true fulfillment. And that's what holiness is. We become more like our God. We have a greater love for what he loves. Greater hatred for what he hates. And the end result is eternal life. This passage is a call for us to lay down our lives in service to God rather than sin. But look how it ends. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin pays out wages. And sin never misses a payday. When we serve sin, our wages will never be late. And they'll never be short. And the wages are always death. Living death now and eternal death to come. But you'll notice that God doesn't pay wages to those who serve him. He gives the gift of eternal life. Paul wants us to remember, we serve God because he's the best master. We serve him because as we serve him, we become like him. But we do not serve him for the wages of eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. 
even after a lifetime of service to God, it's still a gift paid for by Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's live to serve our true master. Hour by hour, let's fight and resist the temptations of sin. Let's remember that sin is a harsh master. He rewards us with brokenness and with death. And as we offer ourselves to God hour by hour, let's do it knowing we already have the greatest gift. We are eternally secure in God's grace. And serving him is perfect freedom. As we obey him, we are expressing who we truly are. Let's remember what God still has in store for us and let's commit to live for him now as we sing Soli Deo Gloria and then there is a higher throne.